Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 6? We'll just start right in because it's sort of a shift in time here. And it starts out like this, uh, after these things, put it in perspective in John's gospel, John chapter 5, since John 5, John 6, somewhere between 6 and 12 months have passed, 6 months to a year. We know that because of the previous feast that was mentioned, which either was tabernacles or Passover. If it was tabernacles, then this, because Passover is in this account here, there would be six months. If it was the other Passover, it would be a year. John writes his gospel with a view inspired by the Holy Spirit to present the deity of Christ. Matthew writes of the son of David and he writes of the king of the kingdom and he writes of the son of Abraham, the Jewish Messiah. Mark writes of the suffering servant, Luke, writes of the son of man. Luke starts the genealogy all the way back to Adam. Matthew started it with Abraham, but John starts before time. Lagos, remember? And he brings, God through John brings God by the will of God, purpose of God, and condescension of God. God is brought then into the time-space continuum. And he made everything. And in making everything, he joins himself to it in that sense. Such that in John 1.14, in the word became flesh. John gives us eight miracles. Now, I hasten to add to that, that in John chapter 20, at the end of that chapter, John says, I'm writing these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And then the next chapter, just as he closes his gospel, the last phrase, he says, Jesus did so many things, performed so many miracles, that the world could not contain the books that could be written. For a man to sit down and try to describe all that Christ did. And if you didn't see it, you wouldn't be able to understand it unless it was described in the right way. And only the Holy Spirit can, can cause a gospel writer to describe the miracles that are performed. So the point is that every day, when Christ was revealed in his ministry, every day then he began to perform miracles. Luke told us that he never, ever turned anybody down who was sick or had a demon or who had some kind of physical need. He never turned anybody down. Now, by the time we get 
to what we're going to study today. Thousands of people are following him wherever he goes. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 14, somewhere like Matthew says that all of the towns and the villages were following him. Everybody emptied the places where they lived and they were following after Jesus, the miracle worker. So he is at the pinnacle of his popularity here in this, in this context. Tens of thousands of people. And if you think back in the day of Christ, that would be a time when the earth was not nearly as populated as it is now. So vast populations of areas were pouring out to go to Jesus. They had physical, man, I tell you what, I, I know what I asked for today. They were, nobody wants to pass up an opportunity to be healed, right? So Christ is performing miracles. On occasion, he would raise the dead. And everything that came before him, he accomplished. He didn't do anything. It was all in the will of the Father. And it was all to prove to us that this Jesus of Nazareth, standing there in flesh and blood, is born of the virgin and divinely God accommodated himself to a man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, can you imagine these people? They don't understand the, the, the depth, the profundity. The, 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 they don't understand that this is God who made them, who made everything. God. Great God who created everything has accommodated himself to human flesh. And so these miracles are divinely selected by the Holy Spirit in, in John's gospel, in all of them, but we're in John, so that we can grasp the reality of the teaching that Jesus is God. This is why the Jewish leaders were calling him a blasphemer. Because they couldn't contain the reality of God. They, they had their idea of God, but their idea was extraordinarily limited. For some reason, they could not see the great God of the universe having the ability to accommodate himself to humanity if he wanted to. There were what were called theophanies in the Old Testament where God the Son appeared, you remember, when he made the promise uh, to old Abraham and, I, and Sarah was, was there and Abraham saw the Lord and those two angels that would go into Sodom. He saw him coming and he said, oh, make, go get the fatted calf and and just put that thing into seasoning and butter and sizzle it and fill it. We have a guest. The Lord ate that meal with Abraham and Sarah was on the inside of the tent. And just outside would have been Abraham and the Lord and those two angels. And now this is the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it. But as the Lord was going... <laughs> 
He said, about this time next year, Sarah is going to have a baby. Now, Sarah's an old 90-year-old woman. And she, and I got to tell you, 90 is looking younger to me every day. <laughs> I was talking to Pat this past week about how when I was a younger pastor, I used to talk about these, these old deacons. They were younger than I am now. So <laughs> this guy came into the, <laughs> he came into the room where I was getting this infusion for COVID when I had it. I was in that room by myself at the hospital, and then he came in. He's old man, old looking guy, all bent over. He was a lot worse than I was. I was watching him, and he just all wrinkled up and just about. He looked like warmed over death himself. And he stepped in and he just made his way to the chair over there on the other side of the room. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that guy is old. I don't know if he's going to make it or not. So the nurse goes over and starts filling out the form for him. And here I am sitting there. I'm at the time I was 69 and she's filling out the form. She said, how old are you? She said, he said, I'm 68 years old. (laughs) So I quit thinking about this guy. I thought, well, when he walked in, he probably thought, man, that old guy ain't going to make it. (laughs) Anyway, meanwhile, back in heaven, their idea of God was too limited After the fall of man, how, how will the justice of God meet the mercy of God? How will the love of God, especially the love of his son to whom he had promised the elect before the foundation of the world, how can this happen? This, this, this bunch of people through the ages who belong to God as God calls them and saves them, they can't be admitted into God's heaven in a sinful state. They can't be allowed to live forever like that. The Jewish leaders just never thought it through. John gives to us his presentation. Divinely inspired gospel to prove to us that Jesus is God. So Jesus nonstop, day after day, no wonder there were times he would withdraw to the mountain of being exhausted, fully God and fully man, because as the perfect man, as the last Adam, only he could do what had to be done to undo what the first Adam had done. Nobody else ever could do that. Nobody None an angel from heaven. The question is asked in heaven someday when the lamb steps forward and John is weeping and asking who is worthy to break the, the, the seals of the scroll. And a strong angel is holding the scroll and the, and the answer comes to John, the lamb, he is worthy. Nobody else can finally Release what must be released, accomplish what must be accomplished, and do what must be done so that redemption can come to us. Not just to us, but to all of creation. God has to do it. Now here he is, walking among the people, performing over, performing miracles, 
Luke describes the guy who had the withered hand and Dr. Luke, he was a physician. Greek words are used in there to describe how that when there, there was just a nub of something there, but when Christ healed him, he had a new arm. This is God. So then, six months to a year have passed, but the Holy Spirit is leading John now to bring us to this next event so that we can continue to see God is walking on his earth, proving himself. You remember in the previous chapter, Christ said, there is a, there is a witness that is greater than John the Baptist as to who I am. John the Baptist had called him the son of, you know, he was the lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. And then he was telling his disciples to follow Christ because he must increase, I must decrease. And the testimony was that, you know, this is Messiah. Christ called himself son of God, which made him, which he made himself of the same essence as God, the father. In other words, he claimed to be God. He told them who he was. And he said, there's a greater, there's a greater witness than John the Baptist. And that witness are the works of my father, the miracles that he was performing each one carefully designed from eternity to be performed by the hands of God the Son. Designed and willed by God the Father, empowered by God the Spirit, executed by God the Son. Showing who he was to the people. Very God of very God. My Savior is none less than God. He wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a prophet. He's certainly not a figment of someone's imagination. He's very God of very God. Paul said to the Philippians, you know, he didn't count it robbery when the requirement for him was to lay aside his deity and take up the form and flesh of a man and die the ignominious death even of the cross so that God has given him the name that is above every name so that if the name of Jesus every knee should bow every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. I make all of this because what we're going to see here is in my view the greatest of his miracles. It is the only miracle that is recorded by all four gospel writers, except for, of course, his resurrection. Jesus Christ, God, creator, he made the universe, he made the angels, he made the earth and all that's in it walking in their midst, proving who he is because he must redeem his own. God the Father loved God the Son. And the Son, of course, loved the Father and loves his church. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, says, God, Christ loved his church and gave his life for his church. Now, Six to 12 months after John 5, Jesus went away over the Sea of Galilee of Tiberias. 
In those days, some people called it the Sea of Tiberias because he had been a Caesar and they thought it was the right thing to rename it after some political guy. Like that never happens these days, right? Christ, we're going to see in the next slide that this is the time of the Passover. So the season of Passover. So people are coming from everywhere to go to Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of people. It was on the eastern shore in order for these pilgrims to make their way to Jerusalem, they would go by the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. At this moment, this is not where Jesus wants to be. So he makes his way to the western side, which is the rural side. It is the less populated, not much of a population on that side. So Jesus went away over the Sea of Galilee of Tiberias. Now a great crowd was following him. The villages, as you see in Matthew's account, he points out that the cities and villages were being emptied. Everybody was leaving to go after. So he's to go after Jesus. So he's, we're, we're talking tens of thousands of people everywhere, coming from everywhere. And they find out where he is and they follow him. Wherever he goes, it's almost like he can't get away. Now a great crowd was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was doing upon those being sick. He never turned anyone away. From the time he was awakened until the time he collapsed into sleep at night, he was performing miracles, and along the way, he was teaching people his word, who he is, what this all means. If you will notice, he would say, these works are just to set up the truth of the word. The works, of course, were only temporal. But what he offered through his word was eternal, is eternal. They were seeing the signs. So are they coming for the teaching? No. Let me tell you, I learned a long time ago, people don't join my church for any, they usually are looking for music or children's ministry, youth ministry, you know. I mean, it's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. People were coming to him for his healing, for the miracles. In other words, they had a personal agenda. They wanted it their way. So that's why they were coming to him. The Bible says so right here. Why were they coming? Because they were seeing the signs that he was doing upon the sick. So now Jesus went up on the mountain and he was sitting there with his disciples. Now let's draw from the synoptic gospels and put this in its context. The disciples had been sent out by Jesus prior to this. And they were sent out to preach and to teach. It's time for them to come back to Jesus and give a report and, you know, talk about the ministry and talk about the gospel, the results and so forth. So it was time for him to retire to a, a private place. Number one, because his enemies were after him and he needed to withdraw from them to continue to pray for the will of his father. Number two, he was exhausted. He needed rest. And number three, he needed to gather his disciples again and pick up from that point because now they would have grown by leaps and bounds in their own ministry. So here they come together. Jesus went up on the mountain and he was sitting there with his disciples. 
pilot error, I think. Yeah. So it was Passover. Now Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. So this, this would have swollen the crowds even more than usual. We've talked about that before at a previous Passover that John mentioned. Then Jesus, having lifted up his eyes and having seen that a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, well, here they come. He can't rest. He's trying to rest. He has to lift up his eyes and here they come from everywhere. As far as you could see this way and that way and back yonder, people were coming everywhere. They were sick. They were demon possessed. They were coming from everywhere. Day was stretching on. It was getting toward the evening meal. So, Jesus said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these might eat? Now, he was saying this, testing him, for he knew what he was about to do. He wasn't asking, he wasn't asking Philip for a suggestion. He never did that. He wasn't asking for other people to propose a solution. He didn't have to do that. He's God. He doesn't have to have help in anything. But he does it to test him. They've been out now preaching and teaching. And they've, performed, they've cast out demons and done things. And, and they're back reporting the, the greatness of the ministry and what had happened in his name. So how strong are you really? He asks for a solution to an impossible problem. Thousands, thousands. Of course, you know in the next slide, it's going to say 5,000 men. Matthew adds, not including women and children. So you're looking at a crowd of 20, 25,000 people. And he says to Philip, well, where are you going to go? There's not enough food in every drive through in Galilee to bring sacks of food for these people. He was saying this testing, how strong is your faith? Well, Philip should have said, you are Lord. Philip would have witnessed so much in these two years, maybe a little more, of the ministry of Jesus. Why not just shut up and say, you know, I don't know, you know. I'm following you because you are God. Do you say that? No. You know what's wrong with people? Well, I could, I could really write a book if I had that answer, right? Philip said, you know, and I'm not, he says, I'm not saying we have this much in our treasury bag here. 200 denarii worth of loaves, that's nearly a year's pay, of loaves wouldn't be sufficient for them that each one might receive a little snack, a little piece. That's like, okay, that's like having a mountain of cheese balls and giving everybody one. <laughs> hey, it's supper time. 
Andrew, one of his disciples, the brother of Simon Peter said to him, a little boy is here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. And he should have stopped right there, but he didn't. People just don't know when to shut up, do they? But what are these for so many? You're talking to God. Even today with the so-called advanced knowledge that we have, we still haven't seen the edge of the universe. We have no idea how far it goes. We cannot imagine the equations of physics and science that are required to hold everything in the delicate balance of the cosmos. And there's the guy who asked the question, how are we going to feed these people? There's, there's, there's the one who created all of this. But what are these for so many? See, he should have left that off. He was doing pretty good until he got to that last statement here. Jesus said, make the men to recline. Mark tells us that he tells them to separate them, the men in groups of 50. Well, okay. A man would have taken his wife and children with him. And so the men would have been in groups of 50 men and then their families would be with them. But this, this, this sort of makes it a doable thing because you have 12 disciples and 5,000 men, 50, that's 100. That would be a little more than eight groups per disciple, right? Yeah, that's what it would be. Get a mind like a steel trap. Now, there was much grass in the place. That's why they could sit down, lay down. Therefore, the men reclined. The number about 5,000. I have an asterisk there because Mark tells us not including the women and the children. Then Jesus took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those reclining likewise also the fish as much as they wished. So here's what Jesus says. He says, we're going to give them a picnic. Fish sandwiches, Captain D's, <laughs> whatever. We're going to give everybody a, a sack. I'm going to reach into a sack and pull out a sack. You take it to the men. I'm going to keep doing that until they've all eaten as much as they want. And if any, you, you stay with your group. And if somebody wants seconds, I'll reach back and you get them as much as they wanted. He kept giving it to them. So you could have been reclining there and said, I think Junior and I will have another. Okay, be right back. Fresh from the hand of God. Where there was nothing, out came something. And he fed 20 plus thousand people. Men, women, and children. Until they couldn't eat anymore. He doeth all things well. You think he's going to let anybody sit there and think, Man, I hadn't eaten for a couple of days. I've been following Jesus all over the place. I wish I had another one. No, he's not going to do that. He'll tell his disciples, go back and ask them if they want any more. There's plenty. And so they kept eating until they didn't want any more. 
as much as they wished, as much as they desired. Ethelum, as much as they wanted, desired. So now when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather the leftover fragments so that nothing may be lost. Now, let me tell you something else about Jesus. We saw last time that he only did the will of the Father, so he's sinless. It would have never been the will of the Father for Jesus to commit a sin. So he's sinless, of course. He's God. He can't sin. But he also never does anything wrong. He never overestimates or overcalculates or under, and never. He always is precise and exact. Just look at the universe. He doesn't overdo. He doesn't underdo. He is just right. He is exact. He is precise. Look at the passage here. So that nothing may be lost. Therefore, they gathered and filled 12 hand baskets of fragments from the five barley loaves, which were over and above those having been eaten. How many times do you go into a restaurant and it's kind of between hours, you know, when you get old, you eat your supper like in the middle of the afternoon. <laughs> and sometimes you'll see the servers eating their meal, right? Not going to cost them any of those denaria in, in the, out of the treasure's bag. Jesus didn't forget, didn't forget about his 12 disciples. Suppose you've come from way off having preached and taught and, and in the name of Jesus performed miracles and you've walked a long way and then you sailed a boat and you're hungry and you're tired, but you're doing what Jesus said and you're watching all this pissing and you're thinking, man, I wish I had some of that. He's not going to leave these guys out. He's precise. He's exact. He never makes a mistake. There wouldn't have been any leftovers. It is exactly what was needed. So, there were 12 left. Now the disciples can have something to eat themselves. Fish and barley loaves. God does everything right. He never, he never colors outside the lines or does anything that would be a stumble or a mistake. He does it exactly right. Now, what did it say earlier? It said, um, he, oh, I passed it. For he knew what he was about to do. Christ knew exactly who was there. He knew how many were there. And he knew exactly what he was going to do. 25,000 plus 12. Don't leave those guys out. Don't leave anybody out. The perfection and sinlessness and power of the Christ of God. This is a profound Overwhelming. I don't have the 
adjective. This was a miracle of miracles. Thousands of people, one little boy's lunch. And you keep reaching into a bag where there should be nothing. And there keeps being something until 20 plus thousand are fed plus the 12 disciples. We'll have exactly what we need. We'll do exactly what is needed. Thank God for it. He never, fall, he never falls short. It's always there. You remember the widow in the time of, was a widow of Nain, the, 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 um, the widow anyway, in the time of Elijah? He says, what we're going to do? Well, we're going to eat, we're going to eat, we're going to take the last bit of flour and the last bit of oil. We're going to eat a little cake. And then we're going to die. Time of famine. And they kept reaching into that barrel and kept pouring oil out of that cruise of oil. It was always enough. It was empty, but now there's more. There's just what was there yesterday. And they kept doing it. God Almighty takes care of his people. And he does it just right. Now this comes from the hand of God. The power of creation. The power of fulfillment and satisfaction in a, in a physical sense. Absolute, incredible, precise power from God Almighty. Therefore, the people, having seen the sign that he had done, said, This is truly the prophet who is coming into the world. Moses spoke of the prophet. It's a messianic reference, an early messianic reference in Deuteronomy 18. And so they say, this is the prophet. This is Messiah. Well, okay. Now, this is a valid question. What would you do if God the Son came in right now sat down right here and had five or six of us to feed everybody lunch and then go back and ask if they want any more, perform a miracle of miracles. And then everybody here agrees, you know what? This is Christ of God sitting there. What's the first thing that you would do? Well, I'm kind of like that song, I can only imagine. I would be somewhere between falling down on my face and keeping my mouth shut or shouting hallelujah and dancing a jig and asking questions. Tell me about salvation. How can I live with you forever? What of the king? What of the coming kingdom? Tell me about eternal riches and glory that is yours and that can be mine. What would you do? What do these people do? They wanted to make him king because they wanted a welfare state. 
Did they care about their salvation in the presence of God, the Creator? No. Listen, it gets worse because we're in John 6 now. And you know, at the end of John 6, they all start leaving him. He talks about what it means to become a disciple. What it means to receive Christ as your Savior. What it means to take the place of a sinner in need of a Savior and be at the mercy of the Christ. And most of them start leaving him. So what would you do if he came in? Would you rush to make him king? Look here. So Jesus, having known that they were about to come and seize him, that they might make him king, withdrew himself again to the mountain alone. God in their presence. What kind of worship service could 20-something thousand people have given? What kind of Bible study could you have had if you would just shut up and listen to God teach you about yourself and about himself and about what he can do for you? No. Here's Jesus. They're going to make him king because we can take up swords and we can fight the Romans. And if we die, he'll just raise us up from the dead again. We'll fight more. And when we fought all day and we're hungry and tired, he'll refresh us just by creating food for us. And if a tornado starts coming, we're not going to go and run and get in our storm shelter. We're just going to wait for him to stop the storm. A welfare state. It's all about me, 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 me. He knew what they wanted. Listen. He is the king of kings to perform the will of the father. And not to be available for the whims of men. That's who he is. I'm so thankful that the time came in my life when God called me into the salvation that he had prepared for me from before the foundation of the world. And all I've done throughout all of my life is just bask in its glory more and more. And I know more about it and am more humbled because of it today than I was yesterday. The study of it, the resting upon it. Jesus is my Sabbath. The reflection of it. This is life to me. Because God... Logos, sarxagenito. The word became flesh. Is Kennison and human and dwelt among us. The time came when that very God sent his spirit to arrest me 
and the voice called that only I could have heard to come into his salvation. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. God says, admit that you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus. Call on him to save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, you can't make that call upon the Lord unless he called you first. It's all by the power of God. If you're here today without Christ and you would come to Christ today. As we exit this room in just a couple of minutes, deacons and their wives will be available in rooms just as you exit. You'll see them right across the hall. And they're there to pray with you and to speak with you about being saved. Maybe you're here and you've been saved, but you know that you need to follow the Lord in baptism because it's the the command of Christ. They are there to talk to you about that and to make arrangements for that. Maybe you would come and be a part of this congregation and be a part of this church. They are there and prepared to do that as well. We'll take care of all the details if this is God's will in your life. So when God calls, you don't know what to do. Listen, today, you can just slip into one of those rooms and let them minister to you. Let's stand together and we're going to be dismissed in prayer.